but yes, putting yourself in harm's way and it doesn't have to be calculated that you're trying to get something out of it, but following curiosity and, you know, not being shy, asking people questions and it can lead to good things. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be and hosted by Design to Be founder and CEO, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community for designers to grow their emotional intelligence. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Aaron Walter. Aaron is Acting Director of Product at Resolve to Save Lives, where he explores how design and technology can help fight COVID-19. Formerly, he was the VP of Content at Envision, with 20 years of experience running product teams and helping companies enact design best practices. Aaron founded the UX practice at MailChimp and helped grow the product from a few thousand users to more than 10 million. His design guidance has helped the White House, the U.S. Department of State, and many Fortune 500 companies, startups, and venture capital firms. He is the co-host of the Webby-nominated Design Better podcast and has been featured in major publications like Fast Company, TechCrunch, and Vanity Fair, amongst many others. We dive into what it means to practice seeking meaning in your career and in your life, how curiosity helps you to craft a more purposeful career, what it means to navigate a mission-driven profession, that aligns with your values as well as your beliefs, and how investing in your emotional intelligence can guide you to a more fulfilling career. Welcome, Aaron, to the show. It's a treat to be here with you. So uh, when looking for uh, different guest speakers to be part of this training and like scouring the internet of who are the best possible design leaders I could bring in to help inspire each of you and provide guidance and knowledge. Aaron wrote a book called Designing for Emotion, which I've read and actually along with Jason, who's also on this call, attended a two-day workshop the past couple of days about designing for emotion. And I was like, he's the perfect person to come talk to designers about emotional intelligence since he's so in touch with designing for emotion. And as you all know, over the past eight weeks, we've covered a plethora of different topics. And now we're reaching our last and final week. And now it's, okay, now what? And a lot of you, when going into this training, there's kind of two different things that we're looking at. It's one, how can we use emotional intelligence to become more effective in our roles? But two, how can we also use developing our emotional intelligence to craft a career with more meaning and purpose? And so today for the next 40 minutes or so, so I'm going to have a conversation with Aaron. We're going to go through crafting a career with meaning and purpose and what that means to him. And we're going to leave about 10 or 15 minutes or so at the end for questions. So please do populate the chat with any questions or comments you have as we're talking, and we'll be sure to leave time at the end for that. So I've been talking for a long time, and I want to hear what Aaron has to say. So 
starting kind of at the beginning, Aaron, how have you been able to craft a career with meaning and purpose? And what does meaning and purpose in a career mean to you? I think there's a couple ways to do it that I see. There's the very kind of premeditated intentional pathway where, you know, somebody does deep reflection and says, these are the, the things that I believe in. These are the causes I'm interested in. And then you, you do the research and you go find an organization who's doing that and carve out a role. A lot of times those types of roles, you kind of have to carve them out. The work that I'm doing right now is at Resolve to Save Lives, working with Dr. Tom Frieden, who used to be the head of CDC under Barack Obama. And I found my way into that because I felt like I needed that mission-driven type of work. I think for a lot of people, the COVID crisis was clarifying of, you know, time is finite, our life's energy is finite, and how might we invest it in a meaningful way? That was the internal dialogue I was having. And I've been thinking about that for a while, actually before COVID. And I talked to my friend, Daniel Burka, who made a switch from Google Ventures and kind of left, you know, Bay Area, Valley to go into global health, working with Tom directly. So I was curious and I went and found somebody in my network and not asking for a job, but just like, hey, how do you make that transition and tell me more about it? And then that led to like, hey, would you like to come work on the US COVID response team? And so that's what I've been doing. So that that is method one. And it, there's nothing very magical about it. It's really just sort of gumshoe work of like some reflection and then and then go do the research. There's another way though, that I think is sort of like the thing that has guided me through my career, which I don't really have a good name for it, but I think of it as like a triangle of experimenting with a thing that I'm curious about. So I'm curious about something and I do some research about that and I do some sort of applied experiment with that thing. And used to be like when I was building websites for clients many months ago that I would experiment there. I used to be a professor. I was teaching and or I so I'd experiment with my students with some technology or some methodology or something like that. So then I would teach. I would teach that to somebody else. And that's how I would get mastery of that subject. So it starts with curiosity, a little bit of iteration, and then teaching another person how to do that is the way that I kind of brought it on board with my thinking. And through that triangle process, which sounds a lot like design thinking, it's not a particularly unique approach. I find my way into luck, basically it's sort of like manufacturing luck because my curiosity about something leads me to talking to people and asking questions, which is why I love being in settings like this, because I want to learn from you too. I want to hear of like, what are you doing? What are you excited about? Which inspires me and, and gives me something to go research and, and explore. And through that curiosity, I end up meeting other people, which you know is how I met Daniel. So could I have gotten that job without knowing Daniel, just like the gumshoe method, I probably could have gotten a job like that. I don't know if I would have been working with Dr. Tom Frieden and Daniel Burka and Jason Santa Maria and like all these really amazing folks, if it weren't for that triangle of, you know, building that into my life, which is why I do the podcast so I can, you know, ask questions of people. And it's a mechanism for being curious and discovering what I don't, I don't know what I'm curious about yet. The unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld once said. 
So I love that. I'm a very visual person. So thinking about this and I'm sure other, other folks listening and all in the caller as well. So visualizing that in a triangle is helpful. But I think one thing that I also gleaned from your story is curiosity so much also is the gateway to courage. And when doing things that are new, like switching to working in a completely different sector, that can be scary. Mm. <laughs> it's vulnerable to take that leap. And mm. something that we've spoken about in this training over the past seven, almost eight weeks is managing maybe that voice that you have, that are you sure, or any of that inner critic. And I'm curious when, because uh, it, it sounds like from your story, you really are doing exactly what you should be doing, which I feel like so many people- <laughs> It sounds like it doesn't. <laughs> it does. It does, which is an amazing thing. And for me personally, I feel like for the, like the first time in my life, I feel the same way. I feel like I am supposed to be on this call with you, with these other people, teaching designers how to increase their emotional intelligence so they can yeah. become more effective in their roles. Like That's why I am here right now. But doing anything new is a vulnerable act. And so I'm curious when you've started to make that shift, maybe it's this shift or other shifts that you've had throughout your career, how you've managed and really tapped into this courage to take those leaps that have definitely reaped good reward. So this is a topic that I'm very passionate about and I, I have deep feelings about I can tell you that what I'm doing right now, I'm in a lot of meetings with epidemiologists, people who have been in you know very difficult situations, who have buried e Ebola-infected bodies in hazmat suits. And I'm like this dude in a comfortable place in Athens, Georgia, you know, from the tech industry and you know, enjoy a lot of just comforts of life. So definitely a lot of imposter syndrome. How did I find myself here? There are a number of meetings or have been for a long time. I'm getting a little bit better, but where there's so many acronyms and so much like insider language, I'm not entirely sure what's being discussed, but I have done some meaningful, interesting work. I've worked on creating a, a COVID tracking dashboard for the entire continent of Africa, working with Africa CDC. I've been a special advisor to the WHO's smart vaccine credentials initiative why me? Like how I found myself there. There's a lot of luck. It's that triangle that gets me there. But in each of those situations, I think, am I the right person for this job? So I did have that moment, like once I, I made this transition with my current position, but I could say like every other job I've had, I was really probably not the right person like at the time, or I thought I'm unqualified. And so there's a sense of fear of like, am I up to the challenge? But I have found to be true in every single instance that fear is the signal that I want to follow because fear means I'm going in the right direction. Fear means that's growth, that's challenge, that's something difficult. And I'm a person who I need growth. And if I don't have some sort of growth opportunities, I get bored. And then I, I become dissatisfied with not just my work, but just life in general. I'm not somebody who wants to sit and be entertained. I want to be productive and, and do something for better or for worse. There's a kind of a dark side of that too, where, you know, this desire to always be productive can consume a person. I also want to share, I have a really good friend of mine who's in LA. He's a filmmaker and he doesn't have a film background at all, but he does really amazing work. 
and big work, you know, sometimes with big budgets and well-known people. And I just marvel at him because I've known him since he was just, he wasn't in film. I watched his career transition into that where he said, I'm passionate about this. He's certainly very creative. And he wanted to go into film, even though he didn't have the discipline, the formal training, basically the bona fides that would give others the signal like this person belongs, deserves a chance, et cetera. And I said, his name's Tim, Tim Nakashi, if you want to Google him. I said, Tim, like, how do you do this? Like, how are you a filmmaker? How are you shooting Maroon 5's video or the next OK Go video or making a film that's in Sundance and you're editing in Edward Norton's apartment in New York? Like, this is kind of hard for me to fathom that you're doing this. And he said, you know, I am not the best filmmaker. I'm not the best writer out there, but I deserve a shot as much as anybody else. And man, that just so resonates with me that I don't think I'm the best designer. In fact, I know I'm not. I don't think I'm the best design leader. I know I'm not, but I deserve a shot as much as anybody else. And I'll give it a try. And, you know, I come to the work with good intentions. I come to the work, you know, ready to work hard and to learn and have the opportunity to grow. And I think that is, I don't really care for the word deserve in, in almost all circumstances, but I think when it comes to an opportunity to give it a shot, you know, take your turn at bat. I think that's something that we all do deserve. Yeah. I'm curious from you, the work that you've done and, and from the stories that you've shared, the relation between like meaning and purpose and mm-hmm. also finding fulfillment in your work, whether it be on a more macro level or even in the day-to-day of creating those dashboards? Yeah. So this is something that I'm investigating. I'm working on another podcast right now called Reconsidering with two of my friends, Bob Baxley, former Apple and Pinterest person, and Meredith Black, who used to run design ops at Pinterest and now runs like the biggest community of design ops. We've all had these questions about you know, what is a satisfying life? What's satisfying work? Not like what makes me happy because that feels very ephemeral, kind of something that we would chase and maybe never quite attain. So when I think about like satisfying work and meaningful work, I would challenge it just a little bit because I think we need different things at different seasons in our life. And there's the opportunity to kind of reflect on where are you in your journey, your career journey, your kind of personal journey in life, and what's important to you. So there might be times in your life where optimizing for, you know, revenue, like I just, you know, you might need to be in a position to just make the most money you can right now, because you have plans of you want to start a business, you want to start a family, you want to you know, have a house in a cool place near your family, whatever that, that thing is, that could be one season of your life. There might be a season of your life where you just really want to focus on learning and growth. And so choosing a career, a section of your career of like your next gig, your next job that you want to work with really smart, talented people who can push you, can help you understand craft or maybe Go beyond your craft and understand the organization and and how to navigate politics and bring people together and, you know, inspire a team. And then there might be a passage in your life where you feel like, check, check, I've got those things and I want to do meaningful work. And it's not linear. It might come at different times and your, your value system might shift. In fact, I guarantee it will shift. But I think, you know, chasing like, I want to do meaningful work, man, even meaningful work can be a slog. It can just be like 
difficult, tiring. Like I got to tell you, working in a pandemic, like to try to address a pandemic while you're living in a pandemic, like my two kids were at home and we're trying to figure out like, you know, my oldest son wasn't really getting anything academically the past year. And like, how do we make sure that he is getting what he needs? Still sorting that out. And, you know, there were a lot of things going on at the time. So personal life, I was dealing with pandemic, work life, pandemic. It's like pandemic 24 seven. I was dreaming about the pandemic. So is that meaningful work? It is. It's really hard work. And, you know, is that sustainable for a long period of time? I've learned that crisis response teams, the model that is usually happens is you put in a group of people, a cohort of people to respond to a crisis. And as the crisis starts to abate, you swap out, you take those people out and they have to check out for an extended period of time to recharge. And you get a totally different team with different skills who basically transition into new work. And so I went through crisis response and now trying to guide a team through a transition and work as we kind of stand down from COVID in the US and shift to Africa. So this is a very long-winded meandering response to your question. But the point is, is that, you know, like what is meaningful? What, what you think is meaningful now, it's going to shift. It's great. It's noble to be of service. Like that's probably the thing that, that I could tell you is a guarantee. I know I'm most happy do a bit of reflection and kind of say like, when am I most happy in my, throughout a year, throughout a month, whatever, most happy on MLK day, because that's when my wife and my two boys, we go do a community service project and we work together. We work with the community and I feel connected. That feels good. So that is meaningful work. Is the work that I'm doing, you know, professionally right now, is it meaningful? Totally. Absolutely. There are lots of different ways to do meaningful work, but for me, it boils down to how can I be of service? How can I do a thing that is beyond what just, you know, ticks the box for me, but also is useful for other people. So you can do that in so many different ways and it doesn't even have to be professionally. Yeah. Thank you so much. And the long-winded answer is much encouraged and appreciated. So thank you. We are going to take a short break to hear an exciting update from Design to Be. Design to Be is excited to offer our fall cohort of the Design to Be training, an eight-week remote design EQ training program. We are bringing together designers who seek to become more effective in their role and ultimately craft a career that is filled with meaning and purpose. We are fusing authentic community, inspirational speakers, and actionable techniques to uplevel your design career. Head to designtobe.com forward slash training to learn more and apply. Applications are now open and close September 14th, but students will be accepted on a rolling basis. So be sure to apply early to secure your spot. Now back to the show. I feel like a lot of what you also highlighted and Something that I, especially very early on in my career, I just didn't, what didn't make sense to me is upon graduating school, I very much viewed the career as linear. It's this thing that you work up the career path and you start off as a junior designer, become a senior designer, and then then you're a manager and that's what it is. And I love that you, I feel like you highlighted many things, but one, just the 
lily pad of the very organic approach to what a career is, but also the importance of, I feel like something really beautiful that you've done is this consistent checking back in with, okay, what is meaning and what is fulfillment and what does purpose mean for me as Aaron today? What does it mean for me five years ago? What does it mean for me in five years? And knowing and honoring that it changes and that's okay. And I know for me very much, I early on in my career, I had dreams of working at like a large tech organization. And I did that yeah. for many years. And it was amazing. And I needed to scratch that itch and like be part of it and like all of that. And now I'm scratching another itch. And I that kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of checking in, but also leaning into this curiosity and giving yourself a chance and putting your best foot forward. So yeah, I love it's all kind of coming together. Yeah. My wife has a phrase that I often reference, which is, she says, I put myself in harm's way, which is how I met her, but that's a story for another day. But what that means, putting yourself in harm's way is essentially like creating the potential for opportunity. You talked about careers being nonlinear, which I very much believe. I mean, I know very few people who kind of lay out a path of, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this and do that. It's just not the way life works because there's so many unknowns. So there's a lot of stuff that's outside of our control, which is okay. And it's can be hard to kind of accept that, you know, I don't have control over what's going to unfold, but we can kind of increase our odds of having luck by putting ourselves in harm's way. And that is being pretty connected to people as much as we can. When I, I was a college professor for a while, as I, I mentioned earlier, and one of the things I would often do is I would invite people that I found inspiring that were doing good work. I thought they can't turn down a college professor asking for them to like talk to the students, right? And so I would get these amazing people who would just like come give a 40-minute lecture via Skype, because that's what we used back then, to my class. And then I would follow up with them and get to talk to them. It wasn't really being calculated or, you know trying to you know, network per se, I just was curious. And like, could I ask someone to share their wisdom with, with my class? And I would in turn learn. And that type of thing, putting yourself in harm's way, I can follow that as a thread through many, many parts of my career and parts of my life, which is how I end up stumbling into situations. My career, if you look at it's weird. It's very strange. I know that there's a thread in there, but you have to really dig to find the thread. It's probably true with your career too. I started out studying painting and drawing and all I wanted to do was like change the world through art and realize like <laughs> that's probably not, not going to happen. I was born a hundred years too late, <laughs> but yes, putting yourself in harm's way and it doesn't have to be calculated that you're trying to get something out of it, but following curiosity and you know, not being shy, asking people questions and it can lead to good things. Yeah. And also, I feel like a couple of things that you've highlighted is the importance of leaning on other people. And this past week, we've been talking about collaboration and just the importance of being a collaborative designer and how that can really help Mm. you be more effective in your role. And so I'm curious, with the work that you've done, how has collaboration and leaning on others helped you be where you are today? Yeah, this was like school of hard knocks for me. I'd say like in my my younger days, 
I felt like I could kind of do it all myself. And subsequently, I, I kind of was attention seeking for, you know, I'm going to do this work and it'll be my achievement. And I want to make sure other people see my achievement. It was very kind of a small way of thinking about working in a group. And it's just not sustainable. It's like very quickly realized that that was not going to work out well for me. And as I got a little bit further in my career and got a little bit older too, and also kind of had some mentors or, you know, bosses kind of point out like, hey, this is a fundamental flaw you need to address here. I learned a very important word, which is partner, to think instead of like, you know, I'm going to work with this person, but this person is my partner because partner suggests we're on equal footing. We are peers you've got something to offer and I've got something to offer here. And, you know, we've both got skin in the game here. Once I started to use, like shift my language, the way that I was working with people saying we, instead of me saying partner, you know, instead of colleague, that really changed things for me in a big way. And just stepping outside of myself, just reflecting on some of the things I've seen careers that I've seen really accelerate quickly. I can think of a few people who, like within two, two and a half years time who are like, kind of like they're designers they are not a junior designer, but they certainly are not in a significant leadership position. They might have, be in charge of a small project and might have like a person or two working with them to two and a half years later being like a director. And then ultimately like a year later, like a VP level leader, they did it by thinking about a couple things. But one key thing is well, they learn to speak the language of business, not just thinking about this is the way I talk about my work as a designer. How does business think about it? And then they think about partnership. And there's a special kind of like sub-discipline to that, which is how can I make other people successful? That's sort of like you take it to the next level. Like I think about we're doing this together, but then to become further selfless and say, I want to make you successful and tell everyone how successful you've been and kind of letting go of what you need. And to go back to like that MLK day, the reason why it feels so good is because the surest way to find happiness is to give happiness to others. And when people feel a sense of success, recognition for their hard work, you know, it resonates with them and they, they remember it and they see it. I just today interviewed someone for a very senior position and one of the interview questions that was asked was like, can you tell us about a project that you feel most proud of? And this person just told three stories about how other people succeeded. He didn't say like, this is where I did something amazing. It's like, you know what? We worked together and I gave some support over here. And then this person did something really great. And man, that start, stuck with me of like, great value system. This person is probably a very good leader. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And a lot of what we've spoken about in the past eight weeks and something that I've learned throughout my career as well, like very much aligns with the way to find to be fulfilled in what you're doing is to bring that light to others. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing that story and highlighting that. So we're going to shift to a couple closing questions, but for folks that have any questions for Aaron, please feel free to populate in the chat and we'll get to those in the next minute or so. Aaron, so a lot of what we've spoken about today in one way or another is under the umbrella of emotional intelligence. And so I'm curious from your perspective, why it's important for designers to invest in their EQ. 
Well, I think it's important for everybody, not just designers, it's for all people. I think that emotional intelligence is, I think first and foremost, it, it's like being reflective of oneself and kind of the forces that might be dictating mood or influencing your awareness of situations, how you show up and contribute and what words you choose to say. Are those supportive and good words or are those words that maybe have sharp edges to them? And then ultimately that affects the way that you build relationships. And that loops back around because if you can build good relationships and that in turn will influence, you know, your mood and, and how you communicate with others. I do wish that this was a skill that I would have been introduced to early on in my life. I did have the model of my father was he is not an emotionally intelligent person. <laughs> I'm sorry if this ever gets back to him, but I don't think it's a big mystery. And, you know, I think a lot of people just, they don't have that modeling of like, what does a very balanced person look like? Someone who has some emotional intelligence, knows how to kind of navigate the world. We recognize that grace when we see it, but it's really hard to kind of like break it down and understand like, how did you become like that? I think for a lot of people, they, there's adversity in their life. There's some sort of adversity that causes them to just get really sharp clarity on their value system and clarity that time is very fleeting. And I think emotional intelligence is a way to use our time wisely. Every interaction we have with people could be better, could be more fulfilling for others and more fulfilling for you. Yeah. I feel like I should take this class. <laughs> I would love to learn more about these skills. Yeah, you, you can join our fall cohort. That sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> so we have a question in the chat from Lena. So hi, Aaron. It's an honor to meet you. My question is, how can you align slash guide your intuition with the emotions, in parentheses, energy and motion that you feel when you are searching for purpose in your career? Hey, Lena, good to meet you too. I'm going to reread this so I make sure I've got all the, the fine points here. How can you align guide your intuition with emotions that you feel when you're searching for purpose in your career? Hmm. Let me walk my way into this because I don't know that I have a formulated, like clear answer for you. Something I'm trying to do in my life is just make space, create empty space. It's not a space where I'm like listening to a podcast or an audiobook because I love audiobooks or watching something or learning something. Like I do a lot of gardening. I have chickens. I have produced a fair bit of my own food, which I find satisfying to feed my family. And I, in those times, I try to not have anything coming in. It's been my experience, and I've, I've heard uh, many other people say this that insights occur. And when I mean insights, not just like I'm working on a thing and I'm trying to solve a problem, but insights about like what's important, what's meaningful, what's unknown. A lot of that stuff is just floating in your head or in your body. And if you're always receiving inputs, it's really hard to process what's already there. So empty space. I think empty space is a good thing. I've gotten into the habit of meditating, which I have not been very good at for a long time, but nothing like a pandemic to help you <laughs> adopt a new a new skill like that. I was using Headspace and I started using Waking Up. Sam Harris, his app is pretty good. And so I think empty space is probably the best thing. And just to put a finer point on that, having interests outside of work, this is a whole nother conversation, but 
I learned the hard way when all you're excited about or all you're focused on, all of your energy goes into work. When work comes away, it's like a free fall. It feels like, wait, whoa, what does it all mean? I don't know what, where I'm going and what this is all about, which is why I started gardening. And that's proved to be very helpful. So finding other interests outside of your work, because I find that there's so many adjacencies in wisdom. I can learn something about my professional life that informs my professional life from anything, from history, from gardening, from, you know, I'm not a fisherman, but going fishing is a quiet activity too. But you can learn from a lot of other disciplines. So cultivating many interests, feeding those. Yeah. Thank you. We have a question from Fair. So how do you handle or balance when you're working on a mission-driven project, but some of the partners you work with in the same team don't seem to share the same values? Oh, very good question. I like this one. Here's a challenge. I'm a person with two children. Many of the people that I work with don't have children. They don't have the constraints. And I realized that one day, I was like, how are you working this much? I just cannot work that much. So I'm at a point in my my life and my career where like I'm going to have clear boundaries and either you know you'll accept me for that or not and that'll be okay but I've got to have these boundaries. I even have on my calendar do not schedule family time. I know other people have that too but I've had colleagues say like hey thank you for putting that because it kind of gave me permission to do that as well. So you have to establish boundaries and if you can't establish boundaries you're going to have so many other issues in your life of like, what is your capacity? You know what your capacity is. And, you know, sometimes you need a little recharge. This idea of burnout, I'm curious, show of hands, anyone feel like you're going through like a burnout session right now? A few. Burnout is a fascinating topic because we think it is from working too much, but it's really about work that doesn't have payoff. So like lots of input, energy in, without enough energy coming out. It's an imbalance of you know inputs there, inputs and outputs. So for example, you might be working 60, 70 hours a week, but feel totally energized because the work is exciting. You go to work and you work on something hard and then you see the outcome of the thing that you did. And like, that was good and that fulfills you. Or you might be working 60, 70 hours a week and then you complete a project and there's another one right behind it. And there's another one right behind it and another one right behind it. And you can't tell like, what's this all for? What is this adding up to? And that's where we get real burnout, where we just, it feels like Sisyphus, you know, that story of Sisyphus pushing the rock up the mountain. And that is a very dangerous place to be in. I talked to Judy Wirt. She's a really amazing, recruiter's not the right word, but she's, she's a sage who helps companies find really talented executives design leader. She's focused on leadership. And she said to me that sometimes taking a break is not like I need to go take a month off or a week off or whatever it is. It's that you need to work from 10 to four and have something that feels good to you in those timeframes. Like maybe it's just like sitting and being quiet. Maybe it's like tying up your tomatoes in the backyard, whatever that is for you. And doing that on a regular basis where you just like keep making a deposit into your, your battery energy banks is a way to recharge. I found that to be very effective for me. So if you have others like colleagues who are just like working way, like they're just working without boundaries, 
first of all, like they're going to hit a wall at some point and it's a losing battle. I have heard of companies that do this where it's like people are shamed for signing off or going home early, whoever goes home earliest. You don't want to play in that game. That's, you know, the winner is the loser. So just choose a different battle. Yeah. Boundaries and finding ways to create balance of, so there's always something going back into your battery. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, we've spoken a bit about boundaries at the midpoint in the training and I don't have any children, but for me, my boundary was prioritizing meditation. So I always had a slot on my calendar of meditate just to make sure that that was a daily priority for me. And it turned where other people started doing that as well. And it was this like snowball effect. So it very much resonates with me as well. And I've seen that throughout my career by showing yeah. up and honoring your boundaries. It gives people permission to do the same. Yeah, it's true. So one last question from Melissa, and then we'll wrap things up. So circling back around to your work on COVID efforts, considering it's a global pandemic, what's your impression on the global EQ of the COVID response? And I'm curious how the cultural differences of EQ enter into the discussions of your current work across the US and Africa and approach. I have feelings about this. I have deep feelings about this. I'm currently reading Michael Lewis's newest book, The Premonition. If you want a detailed view of specifically of the US response to COVID and the EQ of our country and its response, check that out. I think you might pick up a couple things there. I think that confronting epidemics is very difficult philosophically in a lot of places. Some places it's easier because there are cultural norms that speak to a collective, that prioritize the collective values over the individual liberties. And our country was founded on the inverse value system, that we do have collective values, but we are intentionally pluralistic. We are intentionally individualistic, and we want to protect individual liberties above all other things. And when you want to get everyone doing the same types of things, kind of standardizing behaviors, that becomes really challenging. We are a country where we will say me before we on most occasions, on many occasions. And in, in a lot of situations, it's super admirable and it's great. But with the US COVID response, I would say that you know, it was a time for us to change our perspective and see like, yeah, I'm inconvenienced. Yeah, I'm annoyed. Yeah, I'm sad. I miss being with the people I love. I miss being at work. I miss doing normal things. But the only way out is together. And, you know, we really just did not choose that way. We chose to go for it. Like, it's going to be fine. We'll be all right. And it's not fine. We lost a lot of people because of just bad choices, bad choices. So on many levels, on citizen level, on federal level, on state level, bad choices. So ending on maybe a lighter note. (laughs) 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 So I'm going to one last question for you, Aaron. So we've covered a lot today. We had some laughs. We got a little serious, all the range of things. And so I'm curious if you could ask one thing of the folks on the call now and folks who listen in the future, one thing of them, maybe something, a practice they could start, something they could think of, something that they could start doing. What would that be in terms of relating to meaning, purpose, and fulfillment? Hmm, that's a tough question. I think that the thing that I found most valuable is 
learning from others. So finding someone who is within reach, whose career, whose life choices you admire, you think about like, man, if only I wasn't afraid, that's what I would do. Go talk to that person. Like, how did they do that thing? What gave them the gumption and the courage to do that? There are a number of people like that that I see and I they, like they kind of operate on their own terms and, you know, they have those boundaries and they also follow their passions and their excitements. And I always think like, what is it that would hold me back from doing something that wild, like starting a class teaching people about emotional intelligence and design? <laughs> That's amazing. Wild, wild idea. Wild, wild idea. idea. We're here for it, though. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron, for your time and your energy and your authenticity and wisdom. It's been an honor to have you on the show and have you also be our final guest speaker for this cohort. So really Fantastic. appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And if anyone has further conversation they want to have, I'm Aaron at AaronWalter.com. It's two A's and two R's because my dad misspelled my name at the hospital. And you can find me on Twitter, Aaron, just... A-A-R-R-O-N. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you are curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N. T-O-B-E dot com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest design to be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.